All right, in theory, we should be live. And if you're on the website, we should be just getting started. I'm literally getting text messages as we speak just to see what's going on. So give us a minute. We are experiencing technological difficulties and trying to reinvent the wheel here and perform rocket surgery all at the same time. So, <laughs> all right. Well, if nothing else, Becca can hear me, apparently. So welcome to Calvary's first attempt at trying to do anything online. There we go. Hopefully we got one answered question, which means from here on in, everything's going to be recorded. And if this doesn't work out well or you want to catch something later, it should be on the website. So with all of that said, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let praise and worship get started. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, 
not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of all that is occurring, your hand has not fallen, your work has not failed. And we trust that work, and we trust that guidance, and we trust that hand. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that no matter what may befall, that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that this world is not our home, but that our eternal destiny is with you. And in that, we will rejoice, and we will praise, and we will look longingly, knowing until the day you complete it, we are travelers. Pray, Lord, that we travel well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ever exalted in thy will, praise his name. He is the Lord, forever his truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His You guys can be seated, and if you're listening at home and you sit up for the music, you can be seated too. <laughs>
Yeah, I'm hiding in the. For those of you who can't see me, I'm hiding in the back because I'm, I'm running the computer, the board, the recording. I need like three monitors and I have one. So this has gotten very entertaining as far as this goes. Um, at some point, I will have to transition because I'm not doing the rest of the service looking at the back of your heads. That would just be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Although it might be an improvement. <laughs> um, as far as announcements go, um, a handful of things. We're not going to have, obviously, we're not even going to attempt to have our, our egg hunt that we had in the bulletin last week. There's really no good reason to try it and I don't think it would accomplish a whole lot. So we will just put that on pause till next year and then decide from there. I doubt we're having a business meeting today either. Don't think this would constitute a quorum, and I don't think we can try to do remote voting right now. So we will just uh, skip that and figure it out at another date. Um, reminder on this, we do have a handful of people here. We have a handful of people um, following online. Uh, keep up with everybody. I do a terrible job of as enough as it is by myself. So if more of us do a terrible job, then we might actually keep up with everybody and know what's going on with folks that are stuck and staying home and things like that. I know we're not all under a, a strict quarantine. We can still grocery shop and all of that good stuff. But at the same time, we do need to remember to keep up with things. Um, is there anything I'm forgetting? No, Elaine is not here to remind me. <laughs> so without that, um, uh, as of right now, they are still having the meals at the rescue mission. So we should still be on the schedule for Easter Sunday, which is April 12th. Now, they are the last uh, update I got from them. They are limiting the number of volunteers you can have. So you can't show up with 25 people to do the meal. So <laughs> which is actually a problem for us because we actually sometimes show up with 25 people to do the meal. So beyond that. Um, I, they haven't told me they're canceling that yet. They're just being very careful with it. So as I get more info and we get closer to the time, I will let you know and go from there. But beyond that, we are still on target for that. If that changes, then that's what we'll do, and we'll just deal with it as we go. Um, the only other oddity for those of you here is I'm not even going to attempt to collect an offering. <laughs> I think we might, might have more ushers than we would people to pass. If you would like to contribute to the continuing function of the church, I greatly appreciate it. You can put it in the plate on the back on the way out, and uh, someone will be someone who's in charge of this will be glad to get it into the safe and get it all taken care of. So I'll just let you know that. I'm not even going to attempt. So if you're not sitting there staring at me going, what are we doing now? Are we taking it up or not? So, all right. Is there... Anything, if there was nothing else that I'm thinking of, I just noticed I looked at the computer and did I did I get a song in the wrong spot? Because I don't have another song in here. Um, yeah. Somehow I don't have that. Give me one second. So, all right. So if that's the case, then, oh, I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I just remembered what it is. But I don't have a bulletin because we didn't do bulletins this week. Yeah, what's the trivia question? Oh, we are a professional, well-run organization, and there is just no doubt about that. So hold on, hold on. We have the technology. We can rebuild this right here on the fly because I can, if I hit the right button, actually find it. So, all right. Here it is. Wait a minute. How long is a millennium? No. Someone had the audacity to yell out 100 years. A 1,000 years. Now, all right. Uh, yeah, there you go with years. 
There you go. This is yeah, <laughs> live math on the radio. Here we go. <laughs> um, why is that important? Because what, what are we told? What does Peter tell us? A thousand years to the Lord is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Now, that is not a math equation. That doesn't mean you can plug in your millennium and go, it's two days from Friday, and so the rapture will be next Tuesday. Don't give me that. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. The importance of that is that God doesn't operate on our time schedule. He operates on his. That's why you see things like Galatians 4, when in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. God has not delayed. He has not forgotten. He has not overlooked. He is operating on his schedule and not our own. So homework for this week. In Ephesians, what command does Paul give to the children? That's always a fun one. Every parent knows that verse. So the homework, if you'll pay attention, I know the reason for the question is written down. So your homework is... Read the whole book. It will do you good. It's, it's six whole chapters. You can handle it. It'll be okay. And actually pay attention why those commands are given and what the importance of them are because they matter to life, not just, in other words, not just so that you'll do something, but so that you'll have a grounded reason to do something. Now, since I remembered all that and I now have the song in there, I'm going to stop talking and we will continue on with praise and worship.
Now, in so doing, God reveals more of himself to both Habakkuk and, by extension, us. His character, his nature, and most importantly, his actions. Why God is doing what he is doing. So, Habakkuk chapter 2, there are 20 verses. Let's read them together. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the ramparts. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man, so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. He is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich, rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them, because you have looted many nations. All the remainder of the peoples will loot you, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. Woe to him who gets evil again, for who gets evil gain for his house. To put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sitting against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the raptor will answer from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts, that peoples toil for fire, and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the towns and all its inhabitants. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, arise, and that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That was chipper and happy again, wasn't it? Such fun. All the way back to the beginning. And let's see if we can actually make some sense of this because we have a couple of sections here that we did last week. We want to make sure we differentiate them rightly and understand them as they go. So, first one I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. So, Habakkuk has said, I've heard God's answer, and I'm going to stand here and wait. Again, I don't know if that's guts or dumb or a combination of the two, but this is what he's doing. 
Now, if you're paying attention to your prophets, this is not an unusual idea for the prophets to be watchmen, to be standing on the wall. You see this with Ezekiel. God actually told Ezekiel to do this. Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. This actually helps explain why God condescends to speak to Habakkuk again. What was, what was Habakkuk given? Habakkuk was given a warning of destruction. What did Habakkuk say about it? What is he now not doing standing on that wall as the watchman? He's not proclaiming the warning. He's not warning the people of the coming destruction. He's going, I still have questions. Well, what do we need to do? We need to answer some questions so that we can do what? Get the warning out. Now, Habakkuk catches this. He knows this because he continues on. And how I may reply when I am Habakkuk knows that when God speaks to him again, it will not be good. But he still wants what? God to speak to him again. Now, part of this is, uh, is good news for us, and part of this is, is bad news for Habakkuk, and some of this is, is neutral news. What we end up with is a picture of two things. One, the character of God that he's actually going to speak again. But two, we get a vision of the character of Habakkuk. Just a little bit, which is important because... Again, he doesn't believe, he doesn't, he doesn't trust that this is happening, back at 112, where he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. What are the Chaldeans going to come do? They're going to come in and kill people, which means people are going to die. This is a reminder of the heart of the individual. See, if you remember from last week, Habakkuk knows the attributes of God. He is from everlasting. He is merciful. He is gracious. So he takes that and says what? You won't kill us because we're your people. You won't judge us. You will correct us. You will uh, steer us, but you won't wipe us out. So the Chaldeans can't be it because this isn't how you would operate with your people. <laughs> See, you're laughing because what has God proven? I, I use this example all the time. If your child is running towards the interstate, Will you tackle them? Yes. Now, on a, on, a paved, on a concrete pavement, they're going to scrape their little knees, and they might break their elbow, and they might hit their head. What's the alternative? So what do we do? We tackle them even if it hurts them. The, the parent who loves their child trains and disciplines their child. The God who loves his people does what? Trains and disciplines them. And if the nation requires judgment to be turned, what's the most merciful, loving thing God can do for that nation? Bring them that judgment. Bring them that calamity. That is what will turn them to him. That is mercy, not judgment. It is good and not evil. It might be evil from a human perspective, because let's be honest, who likes pain? pain? But from an eternal perspective, what's better? To trust in this place and continue on, or to be pruned from this place and look and trust in God? This is part of our reminder. Who lies to you the most? I do. I lie to me the most, and you lie to you the most. This is why we have to be reminded. Things like 2 Corinthians 3. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
you're being transformed. Remember, we talked about salvation. We have a now and a not yet. You are saved and you are being saved. You are justified. You are being sanctified, which means you are struggling, warring, and dealing day in and day out with sin. The temptation of your flesh is to look at that sin and go, eh, not a deal. You know, put some dirt on it in the corner, cover it up over here, not deal with it over there. Whereas the Holy Spirit is doing what every time you look in that mirror? Hey, look, see it? Shh, it's right there, you see it? Stop talking. You look, it's right there, look. There's the argument you're having day in and day out with yourself, whether you acknowledge it or not. So I warn you, who lies to you? You do, because when we're not honest about what we confront day in and day out, we have this breakdown. Welcome to Habakkuk. I'm questioning God. I'm disagreeing with the Lord, and I know I'm wrong. I'm going to sit here and wait for him to tell me something. He's misapplied the attributes of God because he's looking at them from his human, worldly perspective. Christian, welcome to the modern world. What are we doing on a daily, daily basis? We are tempted and twisted to look at the world from the world's point of view. We can't. We absolutely can't. And unless we are diligent to war against that tendency, it's like a it's, it's like a hill because you're just kind of rolling down slowly. Like when you forget to put the parking brake on the car, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm moving. That's the same thing. That's what cultural drift is like. If it, if we knew it was happening, we wouldn't drift into it. The Christian discipline is that we renew our minds. We renew ourselves. We take up our cross on a daily basis, on a regular basis, so that we are training ourselves against the drift, so that we are constantly walking the narrow path that leads to life. So, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. Oh, that's not good news, is it? That's not good news, because what did God say is coming? Chaldeans, for judgment. They come with the sword, swift as leopards, you know, devouring like wolves, that will bit. Ah, write it down so that everyone who reads what you wrote down will see what's coming and do the right thing, which is run. When you see calamity, you run. Not unusual for God. The promise has been made. It's going to be kept. You can actually see this with Jesus in the, in the Gospels, go to Luke 21. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Recognize that her desolation is near. Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city must leave. Those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. When God says judgment is coming, what do we now know? Judgment is coming. And we covered this all last week. If you want to, you can go read um, read Habakkuk 1, and then for a companion, read through uh, the sections of judgment in Jeremiah. God continuously says that regardless of the reforms of Josiah, regardless of what the priests are doing, the sin of the people has gone on for so long. Judgment is coming. It will not turn. God will purify the nation. He's going to be Babylonians to do it. Here he says the same thing as that. So, verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. Whereas Habakkuk used the attributes of God wrongly. You're too just to use those evil Chaldeans. You're too just to have those sinful people judge us righteous people. God uses his attributes rightly. And Habakkuk knows it. You go back to Isaiah 14. This is what God is, is, is invoking. 
The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. Just as I have planned, so it will stand. For the Lord of hosts has planned, who can frustrate it? As for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? In other words, when the Lord says, I'm going to do it, it's going to happen. Verse 4, in the midst of all of this, we get some good news. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Here's another confirmation of the one story of salvation in Scripture. Same thing, beginning then. You see this before Genesis 15. Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham is justified not by his work, but by his faith. And no, James 2 doesn't contradict that, because James 2 proves his faith. Why does he offer Isaac a sacrifice? Because he trusts in God. Why does he leave his family? Why does he leave his homeland? Because he trusts in God. Why does he dwell in this land? Because he trusts in God. Why is he waiting for the son to be born at Isaac? Because he trusts in God. The actions confirm. What we have to make sure we cover is that this promise and this warning applies not just to the Chaldeans, but to everyone who is listening. Habakkuk 1.13 again. When he says, your eyes are too pure to approve evil, you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than men? That was a back and forth. Why would you use the Chaldeans to judge your holy people? What was the start of all of this for Habakkuk? We'll come to that in a second. Let's make sure we get the Chaldeans right first. Do the Chaldeans have a problem? Yes, verse, uh, verse 16 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk again. They offer sacrifices to their net, they burn incense to their fishing net, and though these things, and through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. If you fast forward into biblical history, you see this with Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonians who are the Chaldeans. So what happens to Nebuchadnezzar? The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself had built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Ooh, yeah, that's a whole lot of me, 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 me. There, there's, a, there's Frank Sinatra for his time, right? I did it my way. I mean, by the way, that, that's the theme song of Hell. It's Frank Sinatra on loop because what does everyone in hell believe? That life revolves around them, themselves. So we get this as a judgment and a warning to the Chaldeans, but it's also a judgment and a warning to the Israelites. How does Habakkuk start off his book? The law is ignored, justice is never upheld, the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. He was talking about the Chaldeans, he didn't know about them yet. He was talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the people around him. See, this is this is why I say Habakkuk is looking at things from a worldly perspective and not a godly perspective. How can you, in one breath, stand there and say, "Look at all of these sinful people you make me live with"? When are you going to do something about this and save me from them? And then two seconds later, go, "Well, the Chaldeans are so terrible. How could you use them to judge us righteous people?" Dude. What? Ten minutes ago, it was like, look at these evil, wicked sinners. How would you do this to such a lovely, godly people? I can't believe this. It's like when you were a kid and somebody picked on one of your siblings. Like, you're not allowed to call him that, only I am. <laughs> only I'm allowed to call my brother that. You back off. 
it doesn't make any sense. You see this throughout the history of Israel. You can actually fast forward again, go to the Gospels, John the Baptist, standing out in the wilderness baptizing, right? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise the children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul does not write with that, his righteousness. This is the word to the Chaldeans. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your power. Don't trust in your sword. Don't trust in your horses. Don't trust in your life. Don't trust in God. This is also for the Israelites. Don't trust in your heritage. Don't trust in your temple. Don't trust in your sacrifices. Trust in God. There's a difference. This is why, if you fast forward to us, our actions must be guided by our hearts. How we believe. What we think and what we know. So you see Jeremiah 7. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. Proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all of you of Judea, who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you live and dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods for your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I give, or that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. What is that appalled to? How can you do that? How can you uphold justice, care for the widow, care for the orphan, trust in God? This is a turning first of the heart. A change in affection, what you love in life. Who, who affects that? God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Once what I desire is different, how I think is different. And once how I think is different, what will change? How I act, how I live, what I do. The prophets were calling people to the same thing that Jesus was calling them to, the same thing that Paul later called them to do. A one story of salvation in Scripture. Change your heart. And this should have caused the Israelites to say, what? I can't. I'm stuck. This is Paul's lament in Romans 7, right? The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, I do. Help. I need help. Oh, there's a song I'm so I'm trying so hard. Oh, help. I need someone to help. Just anybody. Come on now. You're a welcome that's now stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And just realize there are people at home staring at your ears going. <laughs> if you listen carefully, you can hear the sound of laptops slamming shut across the city. <laughs> They're done here. Now, all of this has been said, and all of this is good. And if you were God, could you leave this right here to be done? Yes. If you're Habakkuk in your sin, would you still have questions? Let's be honest. You would. Because you don't want, exactly, this is what happens when, this is why it's so important that we're honest. You don't want to give this up. If I'm Habakkuk, I don't want to give up the thought that we are the better people than them. I don't want to be told that I need a repentance. I want to be told that they need repentance. It's all of you people that need to turn to God. I'm, I'm good over here. I don't need this reminder. No, I want you to have this. So he doesn't want to, he wants to believe there's something else. So God will leave no doubt in 
vindicate himself and his reasoning for what he's doing, the Babylonians will be judged. Isaiah covers this. It will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased, how, how fury has been done. If you want for fun, go home, read all of chapter 14 of Isaiah. For 16 more verses, Isaiah runs along with the people who will mock Babylon's judgment of sin and how they will look down on Babylon because God has been faithful to judge their sin. So God's going to vindicate his reasoning, but also why all of this matters, including this verse 4. So, 6. Will not all these take up the taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. For how long, and makes himself rich with loans, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Those who collect from you awaken, indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. Because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. The judgment is coming on Babylon because they have too much debt. Not in a monetary sense, but in a human capital sense. This is not a monetary money idea. This is when God says you're storing up wrath for yourselves. This is what the Babylonians are doing. Now, get ready because you're going to hear this a lot. Is that smart? No. What we would call against wisdom. Why do I say it's against wisdom? Proverbs chapter 13. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. So in other words, if you want respect among people, how should you attain it? Should you demand it or should you earn it? You should work. You should, as Jesus would tell you what? If you wish to be first, you must be last. Make yourself a servant of the people, and they will elevate you. See, this is the distinction in Christianity. The Babylonians have to do They have served the nations. They have conquered the nations. They have brought sword and death. Therefore, the minute they're not looking, what do all those oppressed peoples try to do? You can't hold together an empire in this way. They have oppressed and devastated the nations. This is not smart. This is the antithesis, the opposite of wisdom. But God continued, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Who are the Babylonians? Who are they going to trust him for their safety and their protection? Themselves. We're the biggest, baddest dudes on the block. We have the horses, we have the swords, the whole hunger, the wolves, fashion, the leopards thing again. They bring pain, violence, evil, and death. And they plan it. And they rejoice in it. Is this smart? No. This too is against wisdom. Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. See, what do they trust? They trust themselves. We're big, we're bad, we're strong. You won't do anything about it because we're bigger and better than you. Who the biggest bad is doing the block? I mean, is it look, go to a funeral. What can you either guarantee is going to be red or printed on the bulletin to the funeral? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Why is that a comfort? 
is if God walks with you in the darkness, what do you know? I'm good. No, I'm walking with him. Nobody's bigger than he is. Nobody's better than that dude. This is a reminder of the Babylonians. Their pride, their idolatry, which is going to be covered some more, but their self-reliance, their anger, their violence is going to be their downfall because it brings them to trust in themselves and their strength. So God continues. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and pounds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, this violent reign of the Babylonians, what is it leading to? You keep winning enough fights, when you start to think. You just keep winning every fight, when you just start thinking about yourself. I can't lose! What? I mean, this is... Boxing used to be a sport that people watch, but you, you can see this in, in, in old prize fighters. You just keep winning and winning. After a while, it's like you start noticing things, get sloppy. And then what happens? This young, fast, strong kid comes up, and what happens? Well, why are my eyes spinning around like this? They didn't used to do that. Same idea. This becomes a self exaltation. Now, we've never seen that in the Bible with humanity before. <laughs> See, you're laughing because you know you've seen it in Genesis 11. They said, Come. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What were they supposed to be doing? Scattering abroad over the face of the earth. What are they doing? Let's hang out and build a tower so that we will be so famous that we can't possibly be scattered. We will always have this place and this name to come back to. We can't be scattered. We will reject God what he has said. And we in other words, it's the same line that's always been there. Did God really say it's the same line? You actually see this in Babylon's future. While the word was in the king's mouth, the voice from heaven came saying, remember the word that was in his mouth? I had built all of this by my power for my glory. While it was still there, the voice said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Because what he has done is good, and what he has done is right. And what he has done is within his authority. Now, to forsake that, to say, No, 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 I'm not worried about God on his throne. We'll build the tower. We'll create a nation for our own pride. We'll make a name for ourselves. Is that smart? <laughs> now, what's the rule? Don't do dumb things, right? This is what we would call again against wisdom. Who is God? What do Isaiah say? Great refrain that you probably know since I started. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, not ours. Believe it or not, God continues. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who 
mixing your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. This cup, like the Lord's right hand, will come around to you. Utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence of the Lebanon will, will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrify them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. You're a proud, violent, arrogant people. What do you want everybody else to be like? It's a tough one. You're like, I because you're thinking, well, I don't want anybody to be like you. But if you are proud and arrogant and think you are the best at everything, who should everyone else be like? Um, um, Me. Going to do they should follow in my footsteps. They should do what I do. And if I don't want to do what I do, I don't want them to do what I tell them to do. Exactly. The law of the jungle is my father said, right is right. That's, that's how the Babylonians are ruling. Now, is that how this world is supposed to be governed? God is supposed to govern the world. This is one of the warnings of Proverbs again, chapter 7. This is not wise. My son, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path. For many are the victims she has cast down. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way of death, descending to the chambers of the grave. That's the woman who is not prudent. The warning against the harlot, the prostitute of the town. Don't follow that path. See, what path are we supposed to be following? The godly path. If we are blazing a trail out in the wilderness, are we following God's path? No. We're cutting our own. What is Babylon doing? They are cutting their own. Now, fun reminder. This is what idolatry in the human heart looks like. This is what every, notice the word I'm using, this is what every human society has devolved into since there are none who escape this once they forget their standing before God. Romans 1. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. I want to change how you, how you act. What do I change first? How you think. So now I have a depraved mind. To do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, uh, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and this is the kicker, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. What's the world look like? I don't want you to just ignore my sin. What do I want you to do upon the world? I want I want a high five and a pat on the back. I want you to tell me that it's good. Why? Because in our debauchery, we are cutting our own path. When we are lost in our sin, we are carving our own way in the world. And you know who knows that that's wrong? I do. In my sin, I know. Why? Because there is still a modicum of justice and law in this world, and there is still the law written upon my heart. I know because I made the image of God what the basic ordinances of God are. I know what the commands are in my heart. This is why there is no society, really, in human history that has ever said, you know what? It's good to murder your neighbor. That's a good thing. Go get job. No, every society, once it gets organized beyond about four people, says what? Don't kill each other. Don't steal each other's stuff. And for the most part, stop sleeping with each other's wives. 
That's basic humanity, right? We all just know these things are, are true of each other because we just innately know it. But when I lie to myself over and over and over, I eventually harden my heart. I eventually callous my own soul. But you know what I still know in the back of my mind? And, and, when, and when I know that it's wrong, what do I know is coming? I know that that judgment is coming from God. So if God will give me approval for this, then what's the next best thing? Everybody else. You give me approval. You tell me it's okay. Because every time you tell me it's good, I can ignore that little voice in the back of my head just a little bit longer. And if I can ignore it long enough, I'll get out of this place without having to deal with it. Can't be like that. That's not wisdom at work. It's not Christian living at work. We have to war against that because that's the human tendency. This is what every society has done. We like this power. We want to keep it. So you need to go along with us and tell us that it's okay. We can't fall into that trap. We have to be disciplined and diligent to to not just do this in our lives, but in the lives of the disciples around us, so that as our community of faith, we are walking in lockstep in godliness, not worldliness. And 18. What profit is the idol when its maker is carved in? Or an image, a teacher of falsehoods, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork. And when he fashions speechless idols, woe to him, says the Lord. He said, What a way to a mute stone to rise. And if this is your teacher, Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside. We just know idolatry is dark, right? You just get this innately. If you did, Isaiah helps you out, chapter 44. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. Their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know, so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions are put to shame. For the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them come together and be put to shame. Just think about the silliness of this. Do we have power to change the universe? No. Can we make it rain if there's been a drought? No. But we actually think at least humanity has throughout the eons, that if we powerless people could carve the right representative, place it upon a shrine, and then offer something to it, it will make the rain come. So you're laughing, because when you say it like that, it sounds really silly, doesn't it? It sounds dumb, because it's, that doesn't make any sense. You have no power, so you've made something that has power. It's not an engine, it's not a machine. Like, it, it, at least if you made a machine to try to make right, you can do something. But no, it's not that, it's just this thing that sits there. Now, before we think them silly, what's the highest human achievement? What's the thing we're all told we should be coming for day in and day out? That would be a good result. How many people are sitting around going, I want to be lots? I want to be smart. Now, why do I want that education? Let's be honest. So, I'll be smarter than everybody else. And why don't I be smarter than everybody else? Because when I'm smarter than everybody else, what am I going to do? But tell everybody else what to do, but what am I going to have more of? I'm going to have more wealth. I'm going to have more money. And what am I going to do with it? See, I'm going to get things I like because I like them. And when I get these things, what will they do for me? They will make me feel good about myself, my life. Excellent. 
because the more stuff that I had, guess what I can do that little voice in the back of my head? I have to shut up because I have something that I can pay attention to besides it. I have something that I can think about besides it. And you've had this moment where you just can't get these thoughts out of your head, you're like, you can go do something. This is, welcome to the modern world. It's all about soothing and comforting what makes me feel good. Welcome to idolatry. I have an existential sin problem. I have a nagging voice at the back of my head screaming at me going, that is wrong. And I think that if I can just accumulate enough people to tell me otherwise, and enough stuff to make me forget about it, that it will go away. So you're laughing again because that's stupid. It doesn't work like that. Can you run away from you? No. You can't. That voice doesn't go away. It never stops. Welcome to the anger of the modern secular world that has forgotten God. They can't forget their sin. They can't forget the judgment of God because it doesn't ever leave because it is real and it is coming. And only by dealing with God, by repenting of sin, trusting in the forgiveness that we have granted by the work of Christ, only by those things can we truly be free from the calamity that is to come. They don't want to hear that. And that's why, despite all that judgment on Babylon, God ends in this place. In spite of all of these things, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. They actually used to, believe it or not, they, uh, they made this into a song. It's actually kind of fun when you get a choir singing it. Uh, the choir director that it used to work with, she loved this for calls to worship. And you would talk about a fun Sunday service. Get the, get the whole choir up there, and you walk in, and the first thing that we do on that service is, it's, it's, it's sing-songy, it's, it's uh, I can't do it justice because I don't have the voice. I should have, I should have had Bill do this. But it's, um, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Keep silent. Keep silent. Keep silent. Well, now, I used to do a little bit of choir work, not much, not good. We used to start service off about once every six weeks like that. And you, you, the reaction of an entire church is pretty much what your reaction was. Just, you're kind of like, I'm going to sit here and shut up now. Because, because you've been confronted with something, haven't you? God is in the temple, as Isaiah saw, sitting on the throne with the robes flowing, the glory of the Lord shining. And what's this thought? In modern vernacular, who's now? This is not good, because who is not good? I'm not good. What does God finish with here? The same thing. You're smart people. Could you pick up on the refrain? What was the problem with that one? What were they against constantly? They're doing dumb things, which was against wisdom. What's the beginning of wisdom? Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Why? Who is God? Who is not God? Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you though you have not known me. That men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. 
causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And before you get on your high horse and go, but I have a question. We literally have a book in the Bible that do who had a question. Do you know how that book ends? It's Job 42. I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be stopped. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now. I will speak, I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. When it was all said and done and Job saw God, he's like, I'm second thought. I'm an idiot. I'm going to ask my question. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen. My bad. <laughs> yes. Be silent. You're going to have happy. You, that gets the Beatles out, isn't it? So much better. When you walk around the house now, pretend your kids do something. Sorry, <laughs> Now, I point all of this out because, believe it or not, this is our comfort. Do you notice what this chapter doesn't contain? We had Habakkuk complaining. We had God telling what's going to happen, and we had Habakkuk continue complaining. Now we had God confirm it and declare himself and his judgment and justify who he is. What's Habakkuk going to do now? He's going to follow along like Job. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to listen. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. See, when the Chaldeans come through Israel, and when they come through Jerusalem to exact God's judgment, because God is a merciful God, he will spare all the innocent people in Jerusalem. What's the problem? There aren't any innocent people. This is Abraham and God standing over Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's 50 righteous, will you destroy the city? No. 40? No. Do I have a 30? Do I have a 20? Do I have a 10? Yeah, it seems like a bad auctioneer hunting down the whole chapter. What's the refrain? When you go down, Lot and his daughters are pulled down, not because they're righteous, but because of the promise given to Abraham. Because of the blessing on Abraham, there's a blessing Lot, his family members, preserved on account of Abraham. Not because he's righteous. The city's destroyed because how many righteous were in the city? And none. When the Babylonians come through, God can spare all the righteous. What's the problem? But, but there's going to be people in that city who trust people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And they will open their eyes and see the Babylonians coming through. And some of them will be cut down. And those eyes will be closed. And they will open again where? In the presence of God. Their journey will be complete. This is the thing we have forgotten in modern American society. See, you ever, you ever go into old houses, like houses built in the 20s and 30s and even before that? You know the first thing we do when people buy old houses like that? They gut them. They start tearing down walls. Do you know why? Because all those rooms are like, they the size of a modern walk-in closet. And part of the reason is because they were constructed differently. Every 
every old house of any means whatsoever. I don't mean like rich people. I mean anybody that had a good paying job. Like, you know, they weren't worried about starving to death next week. Every single one of those old houses was always filled with apartment. A sitting room. You walk in, it's, like, it's the first room we get rid of. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, you walk in the door, and I guess I can hang coats in here or something. You knock that out, and make a big living room, right? Why was that parlor there? Because when your butt died, Funeral director was going to take care of your body, put it in a casket. You know where they're going to put you? In the parlor. Mm-hmm. Do you know where most of those people did die? At home. Which means who saw it? Do you know who used to live in those houses? It wasn't unusual for parents and children and grandparents to live in that house. So when grandma got to the end and got sick and died in the home, guess who saw it? When they laid out the funeral for the wake and the casket sitting there open, guess where it is? It's in the parlor. It's right there. <clears throat> now we do it in hospitals, and if we don't want to have the casket open, we don't have to see it, we don't have to be confronted with it. We don't think about the fact that we all have a common destination. And let's be honest, who wants to? Because I don't. But it's true. We're all going in the same direction. The goal of getting there is not avoiding the end. It is living and serving God well as we travel. That's the difference. Look out your door at the lack of people. Most of that is not merciful society coming together. Most of that is, you got it, I don't want it, and I'm going to keep my butt alive as long as I possibly can. If you rewind human history, when the Black Death, the bubonic plague, swept through Europe, do you know who stayed behind? When people fled the cities to go out to the countryside because they didn't know what was happening, they just knew that people in the cities were dying, do you know who predominantly stayed? Churches. Christians. Nuns, running hospitals, makeshift care centers, dealing with the dead, taking the bodies out, comforting the living and children and families. It's predominantly churches. Fast forward in human history. Start looking around old hospitals in towns. You know who started almost all of them? Churches. Why? Because we serve and we care well. We care about people. Not because we want to make sure you live as long as possible, but we make sure that we can proclaim the gospel while we still have time. This is the difference. Our trust and our looking in life is too focused on how long we have, not how well we do this. That's a problem that is looking at a world from a worldly point of view. That's taking the attributes of God and using them wrongly like Habakkuk. Our trust, our leaning, our walking, our following. We're not blazing trails, we're following Christ. We're not trying to live as long as possible. We're serving the hell. We're not exalting ourselves, but we are serving Okay, That's the Christian call. Now, what does that look like? Guess who's got to work that out in their life? You do. You should live, work, and deal with it. So how do I best love my
my neighbor? How do I best love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Does that mean I sacrifice? Yes. Will it cost me? Probably. Psalm 11. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves violence and souls. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. How do I be upright? Behold, that's where the proud when his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Purposely used a bunch of Old Testament references. Because we have one salvation, one proclamation. God's gospel did not change for Christ. trust. We walk. We sacrifice. If Habakkuk is stationed on the wall, and he is proclaiming this message, when do you stop proclaiming that message? Does Habakkuk run away and hide to make sure he gets out to the Chaldeans come, or do you warn people until the last possible minute? See, I don't know. We don't know enough about Habakkuk, but I'm going to bet you he died in that city. Probably died in the hands of a Chaldean soldier. And that was good. Because that means in the interim, he proclaimed the gospel of God. He proclaimed it righteousness by faith and trust in him and a warning of the coming judgment, which is not the final judgment. The work of the Babylonians in Jerusalem is a picture. Don't fear what the Babylonians do. Fear what God can do. Do not fear what the Babylonians might do to your people. Fear what God will do to your unrepentant soul. And that's the message that Habakkuk can proclaim. Christian. <laughs> that's the message we can proclaim. We have an entire world right now. Literally, an entire world that is going, we're all going to die. Exactly. And all God's people said, <laughs> But that means what are they doing for the first time in a lot of time, a long time for a lot of them? That voice in the back of their head is something real loud, isn't it? Yeah. What do we want them to think about? What's, what's the old, uh, you can quote rap music on a Sunday morning, right? Get busy living or get busy dying. Christian, it's not about how long we serve. It's about how well we serve. If I live to 142 and I sit in a shack in Montana and never do a thing for the Lord, what have I accomplished? It's not about how long, but how well. We number our days. We count our steps day in and day out, daily, hourly, so that we are prepared, so that we are serving well. God who 
proclaiming to a world that is suddenly going, you know, I'm not living forever. You're right. You thought about what happens after that? Because you both know you know what happens after that. You want to change that outcome? As a Gail told the story of an 80 year old woman told it to Cameron. Cameron related, I hope you don't mind. She realized she was at the end. She was scared. And what did she have? An 84 year old sister, friend, who can look at her and say, You don't have to be. Christ has died for you. And an 80 year old woman on her bed goes, I didn't know. I don't have to be afraid. Now, do I know if, if that woman made it? I don't know what. Doggone it if I don't hold out hope. Because that's what the Holy Spirit can do. And that's what the power of the gospel can do. In Christian, we have to be handed in on a silver platter in this world. Where people are going, I don't know what's going on. But there is a God in heaven who does. I don't know what's going to happen to me. There is a God in heaven who does. I don't know what the future holds. There is a God in heaven who does. And if you will trust in him, you will be saved. There's what we can offer to this world. This is the call of the church and the Christian in life each and every day. Not for a matter of how long we do it, but for how well we do it, because that's wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the Holy One, the service in His name. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that in the midst of this world that we no matter who we are, no matter where we are, your mercy, your grace, and your love cover, and they secure, and we can trust in it. We ask, God, that you would continue that blessing, that as we live and as we work, that you would strengthen us, that we would be securing you, serving, trusting, living well in your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Last reminder, um, we'll figure out business meetings and all that good stuff at another time. Thank you to everyone who is here. You guys are awesome for all of you that listened online. Believe it or not, this was up to 14 at one point. So we actually had people checking in on things and, and functioning with it. So we hope this worked. We hope you enjoyed it. If we are all still under government quarantine next week, we will set up the same thing and have the same setup and go from there. So thank you guys and God bless.